Welcome to Give Methods a Chance, a podcast where we look at social science methods in practice. Stefano Block is a Mellon postdoctoral fellow in the Urban Studies Program and Cogat Center for the Humanities at Brown University, where he conducts research on spaces of crime, the city, and graffiti. His work can be found in the Radical History Review and City. He is currently working on a monograph entitled Bottom Up Urbanism. Stefano joins us to discuss using his own history as a graffiti writer as a source of data. Thank you for joining us here today. I'm happy to talk to you. We're here to talk about using your own history and experiences in a subculture as a source of data when conducting ethnographic research. So if you were to introduce this method to an undergraduate class who had never heard of it, who didn't have any idea how to do this, how would you describe it? You know, the first thing I, I do tell students and I would tell students is that their life histories are actually much of the data that they should begin with. And that's actually often difficult to get across to students who, who approach data from this perspective that data is something that exists out there that must be generated in some sophisticated or strategic way, when in fact their own life histories, their own perspectives, that which they thought about before coming into a college classroom or into a research project was the data that framed their perspective. So I encourage them to take a moment, which is often many moments, to simply reflect back and to develop strategies to recall their own life histories. They are their own best data to begin with, of course. And you find that students are often resistant to that when you introduce that idea? So often I hear students say the same few things, one of which is, well, you know, I'm from such a boring area um, and nothing happened there. We were so, uh, so, so monotonous in the way we lived our lives. I didn't do anything. And I remind them that if what they mean by boring is, you know, the traditional suburban, homogeneous enclave in the middle of, a, of Connecticut, that in fact, that's, that's a revolution in the way in which people have lived. You know, the, the two-parent, 2.7 children with a dog and attached garage living environment is a rich source of data. That's not the normal way to grow up. That's simply a normative way to grow up. And if you can reflect back on that quote-unquote boring upbringing, you find that you participated in one of the greatest revolutions in terms of family structure, kinship, housing arrangement that has ever been experienced by humans. So you need to defamiliarize your own upbringing and realize, wow, there's data there. There's no such thing as boring. And not to sound relativistic, but there's no such thing as boring. You have to find a way to unpack the intricate personal relationships that say something about a broader way of understanding humanity. You need to realize that your history is a history and it's an interesting history. And yes, students are very resistant because I think many of them have have been led to believe that what is interesting and important exists somewhere out there. It's not where they come from. That's really useful. Uh, Let's use your recent research on the destruction of the LA Olympic freeway murals by graffiti writers over the last 30 years as a way to really understand what you mean by this and how the method works. So when you started out the project, just to get a sense of what you were doing, what were your central research questions or what were you trying to understand? 
you know, now we're, I'm bringing the research into what many people would believe is a more, you know, diverse, energetic, complex urban environment. Not, not hierarchically speaking, it's not superior to the so-called boring environment that many students come from, but it's a different and, and much, in many ways, more superficially or deeply superficially complex environment. So what I was trying to figure out was, what are the ways in which people, members of subcultures, but also from a top-down perspective, what are the ways in which people are engaging with public space, but that the general public simply can't understand because they refuse to understand? So what I wanted to, to, to research, you know, to be, to be specific was how and why are graffiti writers destroying these images of the city that they purportedly love and how is it that the general public and members of law enforcement politicians and mainstream muralists not understanding why and how they're destroying those murals where is the disconnect between the action that is obviously happening because we could see it murals are being written on by graffiti writers and the disconnect to why is it happening not not as far as justifications, but to simply understand why is this happening from the perspective of those who access these murals on freeways at two o'clock in the morning with a can of spray paint. Why are they driven to do that? I simply wanted to understand that. How'd you choose the LA Olympic freeway murals in, in particular? Well, relying on my own background, as a kid driving through Los Angeles, you see these you know, huge monumental social realist murals all through downtown Los Angeles. And at least for me, I had no idea what they were other than these amazing images of Los Angeles. They were quintessential Los Angeles. And I loved them. I, I grew up loving these murals. I looked forward to driving through downtown so I could see the mural of Lita Albuquerque um, by, by, by Twitchell or the image of the female marathon runner breaking through the finish line by Judith Baca. And as I got older and I became a member of the graffiti subculture in Los Angeles, I then actually in an odd, uncomfortable way enjoyed seeing these murals get written on by graffiti writers and I wanted to write on them myself. And that, that moment of feeling uncomfortable about wanting to see that which you love be destroyed you know, quote unquote destroyed by others who want to access that wall space was such a conundrum for me and it mattered so much. So coming into my research, I simply want to understand how is this justifiable? How is this understood by the people who are doing it? And how is this misunderstood by people outside of the graffiti community who can't understand why these quote unquote visual terrorists or animals are writing on our beautiful murals? There, there, I think there were a lot of well-meaning people looking out for these walls. They just weren't talking to each other. So when you were originally designing the study, did you have a sense of the role your past would play in the research? Uh, because like you were saying, a lot of people try to avoid using their past. So did you know from the beginning this was something you wanted to do or did you ever hesitate? You know, there's two ways that I, that I approach using my past in order to do research. And one is, is not uncomfortable at all. It's actually very practical. And that is I knew that I could access an otherwise 
covert, cryptic, suspicious, hidden subculture of graffiti writers to simply ask them, why did you write on those walls? I knew I could access them. And I also knew that they would speak to me because of my status, my, my status in the graffiti community. So it, that was an uncomfortable, uncomfortable for me. And I didn't feel like it was ethically unsound to rely on my access. I mean, that's what Adler and Adler call insider status. I possessed insider status and I was going to benefit from that. At the same time, there's the emotional or personal side of this research that actually was uncomfortable. And that's simply taking a moment to look back at my own participation in this subculture to defamiliarize what I was doing as part of this subculture and admit to myself that I had done things that I as a supposedly objective researcher would find to be heinous, to be honest. I had written on a mural in the 1990s, and I had to take a step back from myself and say, how do you feel about your own participation in this? How does this change your research question? How does this make you justify or romanticize this process? Or does it make you, you know, take a complete turnaround and actually want to demonize or criminalize this process? What is the you in this research? That was the hard part. And there were there were lots of drafts of, of of you know writing in journals and reading my own writing kind of analyzing my own feelings about this process so it's really double in terms of the logistics versus the emotional side of it did the question that you have lead to you drawing on that data or do you think that your own experience uh because of your own experience you came up with a particular type of question um that might be a hard one but does that, does that make sense no, it, it, it makes perfect sense. And I think they, they, they come together. I already had a, 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 a very solid frame perspective, given that I'm a human being who grew up and saw, you know, my surroundings. And when it came time to frame things in a more academic or systematically observable way, I said, well, you know what? There's a problem in the way in which people understand the marking of utilitarian infrastructure or public wall space. There's a problem here because Outsiders simply don't understand it, but I as an insider deeply understand it to the point that I may not even see the whole picture because I'm so vested in it. I need to be able to take a step back and say, what are the questions that I could ask that are translatable to outsiders, but still mine the appropriate data from insiders? I need to be the bridge between those two. And like I said before, that was both logistically and ethically sound, but it was also deeply emotional and in many ways problematic. But my research question came out of trying to be the translator between these two spheres, if you might say. Were, were there any barriers to using your past as data or did anything go wrong or did you find anything more difficult than you expected? Um, just then you were bringing up some of the emotional barriers, but is that the main one or were there other ones? Yeah, I think I think the biggest problem with mining my own background or or relying on my own access to answer these questions were my own feelings of insecurity or feeling that am I being implicated too much in my research or am I shadowing my research to such a great degree that it won't be respected outside or even more importantly that it's not generalizable enough to an outside academic audience. And I've come to realize, I think, that those were my own problems. I have never felt 
looked down upon or questioned or judged in any way, either professionally or personally, by people who suggest that I'm too engaged with my research. In fact, I've had people who are very much outsiders really want to hear more from me, given my status. And in the graffiti community or the street art community, I have also not had resistance. I haven't had people say, well, you're, you know, Mr. College guy now, or look at you in this different world now. You're an academic. I've been received very warmly by people who say, you know, thank you for coming back to us and wanting to translate what we're doing. We don't want to stand up for what we're doing. You know, we're, we're transgressing. We're, we're contesting dominant images. We're a radical subculture, but we like that you're simply trying to tell a part of that story. So I really felt comforted by outsiders and insiders alone. And I've kind of started to drop that feeling of insecurity that I went into this process with. Generally, we learn to ask people who are, who are involved in a research project about how they collected or access or go about accessing their data and what their sampling strategy was. But this seems a little bit different for you because you're looking at your own past. So could you tell us a bit about how you chose uh, which experiences to draw on or maybe how you chose to share those experiences or decide that they were the relevant ones? Yeah. Well, you know, as much as I relied on my own past engagement in this process, that is, you know, the destruction of, of sanctioned freeway murals, I was a very small player. And I'm not saying that to defend myself. That's actually, you know, sadly, <laughs> according to my past perspective, I was a small player. But because I was a player on some level, I was very easily able to identify the most prolific members of the graffiti community who were instrumental in the, in the destruction of these freeway murals. So I was able to recall knowing who the big players were. And then through a network of former friends or acquaintances, I was able to find those people, call them up or you know find them in some way and simply say, hey, I'm so-and-so. This is so-and-so, my past name. This is who I am now. I simply want to ask you questions in a very friendly environment. So I, I feel like being privy to that to that subculture just gave me that, that more developed researcher's eye. But it wasn't really about me. I was just the key that let myself in in many ways. Um, and, and, and people have been really, really open to talking to me despite the fact that many of these people have either gone to prison or still may face jail or prison time given their activities. But there was an openness to talk to me. And then there was a responsibility on my part to, to protect them in many ways. But in the graffiti community, that's actually quite simple because their names that are known in the graffiti community and outside is actually, it's, it's the moniker they use. It's not real names. So I felt comfortable about this research on every level. In your writing, do you ever uh, explicitly tell stories about your past or is it more that you draw on that history to better understand what you're hearing from other people and you're sharing their stories? That's a perfect question because I'm right now in the um, editing process of an article and I'm sitting here, I'll probably sit here later today staring at my methods section in this article and although I said I've kind of gotten over feeling insecure about my own past involvement or my own history, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to stare at that method section where I talk about the way I accessed graffiti writers, recorded interviews, transcribed the interviews. I coded those interviews to look for evidence of them on their own bringing up mural destruction. 
that's all easy actually. But I'm going to sit here and say to myself, ask myself, should I tell the story of how I once damaged a freeway mural? And you know, I still don't have the answer to that. I don't know if I'm going to put that in. I don't know if I'm going to expose myself to that great a degree be just because one, I'm scared that that past of engaging in an illicit subculture still has that bit of fear inside of me. And I'm also scared that it's going to be, you know, become suspect in the, in the, in, in academia. And again, I think that's my own problem, but there's just something about exposing myself that I'm still not a hundred percent comfortable with. So to answer your question, I don't know yet when it's published, I'll be able to tell you, and I'm going to workshop this article. I'm going to talk to editors. And I'm going to say, how do you all feel about me putting myself in there? Does that taint my data? Does that cast a shadow over my otherwise hopefully objective data? I actually don't have an answer for that. So even though you're acknowledging your past, you're worried by that by showing too much, it seems like you're moving too far away from being that objective researcher. Is that is that the or that at least people will perceive it as such? I'm afraid that people will, will perceive it as such. I do everything it takes to ensure that I'm analyzing a phenomena from a a, a somewhat objective perspective that is telling the story about a complex process of the aestheticization of public wall space. I want to tell that story, but by putting myself in the method section to too great a degree, I'm just scared on what that will look like I'm attempting to do. And that is, I don't want it to look like I'm in any way romanticizing this process. I simply want to show my insider status just to let my readers know or let students know that this is how I came upon this research. This is how I achieved access to this, to these respondents. And now I'm ready to do what is ethically sound and objective as an academic researcher. And when I say objective, I always mean that, you know, with quotes around it, because objective to the best of my ability as a social scientist. So generalizability and validity are central concepts when students are learning about this research methodology. And you brought up early that, earlier that you were worried uh, about the person in the audience just being discounting your ability to generalize out from your experience. So how did these factor into your project? Was, were these concepts that you decided uh, were not central to what you were doing? Or did you try to figure out ways to actually uh, translate your work in a manner that fits generalizability and validity? You know... As much as I, 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 I am concerned with generalizability and validity, it's not for the sake of generalizing my perspective out or validating my perspective. Instead, I look at my work as being able to illuminate a process, and it's the illumination of the process and the translating the process for researchers that they can then take those approaches to another phenomena, another space, another life world, and apply those same um, approaches and perspectives to something that's seemingly completely unrelated, temporally or spatially, but they can reproduce it in that way. So is a study of the destruction of the Olympic freeway murals by graffiti writers in the 1990s generalizable globally? Well, no, not specifically, but is that type of research something that illuminates what other people have in their own past and can therefore conduct research in their own spaces on seemingly disparate phenomena? Yes, I think that's that's my goal. So 
I want to show people that you can shed light on something that is just simply interesting and that's what it takes to do research that is hopefully in the long run transformative and transformative in terms of policy, in terms of changing people's minds or in terms of providing a more sound academic environment where students could understand that this is a complex world and a lot of stuff goes on and we need to ask more questions and rely on ourselves as researchers to a greater degree and not look for some holy grail of objectivity or your experience. We need to be our own data to begin with. Would you be willing to share one of the findings that emerged from this research? Yeah, one of the most interesting ones that I was actually I mean, I think I was surprised as a researcher to have it so well articulated, and that is by the uh, well-known graffiti writer Deuce. And when I asked him, why did you write on Kent Twitchell's um, mural in 1992? Because according to Kent Twitchell, graffiti writers wrote on his murals, you know, I'm loosely quoting, but because they're a bunch of animals who think it's okay to destroy other people's work and they're violent and aggressive. When I asked Deuce why he wrote on Kent Twitchell's mural, his response was, well, because I love that mural, I so respect Kent Twitchell, and I thought nothing would provide a better background to my, you know, my name written in three colors in bubble letters than Kent Twitchell's mural. And what a great expression of my love for Los Angeles to have my name sitting atop of that mural that means so much to me. So it was that admiration and you know, perhaps, you know, misguided love for the dominant aesthetic that he was articulating that really blew my mind. When you were interviewing people, did you ever have cases where how they explained something went so against your own experience being in the subculture that you either use that to call them out or to ask further questions? Um, was that a common thing that happened? Or did you generally find the way people explain things seem to fit or resonate with your own emotional experience? You know, in, in conducting interviews, I was, I was really surprised to hear how some graffiti writers were really aggressive and hostile and conscious about their destruction of the freeway murals. So I had a few respondents say things like, yeah, I destroyed those murals, but who the hell, who the hell are they to get $30,000 to paint that thing? My stuff looks better anyway, and I did it two in the morning with three cans of spray paint. And I was shocked because in my own experience... I found that when I had written on a mural in the 1990s, I, I was really unconscious about what I was actually performing, what I was actually accomplishing. I didn't possess the literacy about the existing writing on the walls. I was more concerned with the writing on the walls that was about to go up by me. For me, I was driven by fame and adventure, and really, I was, I was egotistical about the process. I had no ill will toward the wall like some respondents, and I had no really positive view of the wall like Deuce had. I was unconscious of it. I was driven by something else entirely. So my own experience has been a really unconscious experience, and it's only in looking back can I articulate what I was doing, but I'm not going to draw conclusions about what I was doing, but I, what I mean by articulate what I was doing, I'm articulating the fact that I was being very inarticulate and very unconscious, and I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to try to speak for my, you know, 19-year-old self now, because I don't think there's words that could articulate 
that level of unconsciousness. Now, was the effect of what I was doing something that could be articulable and something that could tell the story about the destruction of the murals? Well, yes, that experience, but only in retrospect. Do you think that this is a way that you were an exception or this seems like a really important methodological point because you're having people reflect back upon their experience. So do you think they're providing a narrative or story about what they did, which you could also do? Or do you think in that moment, they were just different than you? I think that people in general, regardless of whatever community or subculture or culture they come from, have the tendency to overly articulate and analyze their past experiences when confronted with a researcher's question. And I think that while it's true the way in which people reflect back, I think that they tend to insert them the, their, their, their contemporary perspective into their former perspective. And there's more words that they use now in order to tell that story. Whereas I'm perfectly willing to realize, you know, I didn't have the words to articulate my participation. And that's okay, because that's important that there's people out there engaging in the reestheticization of public space without the words to tell the story of how or why they're doing it. So are they wrong in articulating it in these romantic or or hostile ways no they're not wrong but are they is the question leading them to reflect to a greater degree than they reflected back then yes i think that's the case when you were conducting the research did you have a particular audience in mind and did that shape both the research and also the writing up of it you know that that's a great question because the first drafts of this article, I found myself, I think, to too much of a degree writing the history of the destruction of these murals for members of the graffiti and mural subcultures. I wanted them to hear this story rearticulated to them. So I found myself, you know, putting in many names of, of somewhat obscure graffiti writers and kind of telling the ins and outs of the subculture to try to prove my status to some degree. And... I realized that that's not the way to reach a broader audience, which should be the goal in academia. That is to reach a broader, a broader audience. And like I said earlier, to make that work in some way generalizable in terms of your approach. So in subsequent, in subsequent drafts, I found myself kind of removing that insider retelling of the history and making it more translatable to a, a global audience and to a, an outsider audience. Those who really don't in any way understand what the graffiti subculture is doing and in many ways may not have even actually contemplated to use the meta to use the saying the writing on the walls. I want to speak to those people too. So I've had to really balance between the insider story and the very much the story as it pertains to outsiders. And right now I'm leaning more toward telling the story to outsiders. As a way of concluding, I was hoping you could reflect back on your project and come up with one either selling point or advantage that you see of this particular methodological approach. So for all the people listening and for the students who might be reading this, what's one selling point or one strength of what you did? I think it's that what occurs around you on a daily basis as you're growing up or through adulthood are, is, are important. Those processes and those experiences are important. And for my own work, 
I'm simply reflecting on something that's deeply superficial. That is, it is seemingly super, seemingly superficial in that it literally deals with the writing on the walls, but there's a deep process here that reflects back on urban redevelopment, urban morphology, competing interest in public space, um, various vested interests in the control of the aesthetic of the built environment. And I think my work does a good job at showing the deep nature of the seemingly superficial aspects of the urban environment. Thank you. It was great talking to you. It was great talking to you. Thanks for the great questions. On behalf of me, Sarah Loggison, and my co-producer, Kyle Green, thank you so much for listening. And remember, please give Methods a chance. Thank you.